welcome, Blood Brothers and Sanguine Sisters, to the Deeply Discussing Dexter podcast. I am your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined by Aaron Caldwell. Hello. Brooke Merritt. Hello. And Zach Rilland. Hey. And today's episode is Season 1, Episode 3, Popping Cherry. Um, Popping Cherry, what's that about? Well, it's about a hooker named Cherry who gets killed, um, which automatically is my nomination for the worst line of the week uh, <laughs> is the title of the episode popping cherry so yeah. which they mentioned once her name once yeah well they say her real name is sherry and then they call her cherry for the rest of the episode because that was her her hooker name um so overall what do you guys think of this episode I actually, uh, I kind of, I, I enjoyed it. I did. Um, I don't know. I mean, definitely the name is not a, a one that um, I always favor because it just sounds weird. But uh, I like the progress of the episode. And then I like certain events that took place in the episode. And then also the way that, like, uh, Dexter handles certain things. Um, so I guess, yeah, I, I, it's interesting because I'm still feeling like oh i know i guess i guess the show gets terrible but i'm still really enjoying rewatching it at this point so i, I like oh it. yeah we got a ways to go before it's objectively terrible okay good because i'm i'm into yeah. it i'm into it again yeah i like this one too i like this one too you know when i watched the pilot i was like oh, i don't know why i like this but really last week and this week i'm reminded of what was good about the show this was a good episode mm-hmm See, I thought the exact opposite. I felt like this episode, everything just screeched to a halt. And it was like a holding pattern. Yeah, I kind of have to agree. I um, I felt like after the pace of the last two episodes, every, there was a lot of things going on in the first two episodes. You were getting a lot of information, and there was a lot of forward momentum. This one seems like it's setting up a bunch of stuff for episodes to come, and there's not a whole lot of forward action in this uh in this particular episode not that it's bad i just felt like there was a lot less going on here uh than there was in episodes one and two yeah i could agree to that i, I definitely feel like there was something there there's something to that in storytelling though and and i think sometimes even with great shows like breaking bad or game of thrones there are some episodes that don't go anywhere and so like i, I definitely see what you guys mean by that for sure in in certain moments um but at the same time i'm like totally okay with it at that point too you know this one was lacking more i would say in the character development end of things that compared to last week but you know it still wasn't a bad episode Mm -hmm. it's just that like nothing of note happens like yeah there's very few like uh memorable uh things that you know again i think this is more of a foundational episode and I think after the first two, they're purposefully kind of slowing down the action so that they have a full, you know, they have ten more episodes to tell their story. Uh, but we start with the the murdered cop's funeral, um, who we met in the last episode. Um, his wife had also been killed, and she was having an affair with Dokes. That plot thread kind of continues through to where Dokes goes and confronts Cervantes's daughter at her confirmation party and Dokes makes kind of a big scene about how this guy went after a cop's family and so he's not going to play by the rules anymore um, and that leads to 
friends of the dead cop who have figured out that Dokes was having the affair, revealing that it's they really are trying to set him up uh, with Cervantes because they know about him and Karen, and they they didn't agree to that. I thought this was a a pretty good plot line for Dokes because you kind of find out somewhat of the man that he is. You know, he he has a chance to do something to one of Cervantes's lieutenants, and he doesn't. Um, I, I just thought that was a, a good note that there's a line he won't cross. But then you also have him going to, you know, the the Cervantes's uh, daughter's party too. But on the other hand, so he has some boundaries, but they're not very good boundaries. I just want to talk about how well dressed he is in this episode. <laughs> it seems like he finally <laughs> right? he finally got it together. He knows what he looks good in, and it's a suit. <laughs> And that's great because Dokes is is definitely like that guy that like if he wears like a a polo I don't find it, like he's an intimidating guy but like I think him in a suit it almost makes him sort of like equal status of like gangsters or mob bosses or whatever it is like there's something about a well tailored suit that gives Dokes that ability to play whatever game he needs to play. Uh, with with these guys, right? I mean, the guy's got it going yeah. on. Rather than rather than showing up looking like he's been playing the game of golf, exactly. Yeah, big improvement. Yeah. yeah. Well, and him and anything with short sleeves, he's just like busting out at the at the bicep because he's so jacked. Well, I mean, he hardly wears a suit in this show. That's true. Well, from this point on, it's pretty much back to the Tiger Woods gear. Disappointing. I really yeah, he's only in a suit for the, for the funerals. So. <laughs> Sorry, Zach. Uh, that's all right. I'll, I'll live. Um, so then we get to the target of the episode, which is uh, Jeffrey Downs, uh, who is being released early from a prison sentence. I guess Florida has some, either Florida or Miami Metro, which is a made-up thing. There's no such thing as Miami Metro. They have some kind of a early release program because of overcrowding and Dexter has his eye on this guy uh, that he thinks is a burgeoning serial killer. Um, this is another thing that they are establishing in the series that on top of all of the the serialized parts of the show, the A plot of the show, Dexter has these one-off target of the episode characters that he goes and, and kills uh, in this case, he tracks him to a place where he's buying knives, I guess some kind of uh, street fair or something. And then that leads to a flashback of Harry showing him guns and Dexter asking Harry what it feels like to kill someone. And we get Harry saying, uh, killing must serve a purpose, otherwise it's just plain murder. And uh, there's a scene where Harry shoots a deer and Dexter kills it with a knife. I actually really enjoy that scene. Um the flashback because it starts off right after Dexter asks him to uh, explain how it feels to kill somebody. Harry says, you're, you're not just killing him, you're killing everything he was and everything he will ever be. I really like that line. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's murder, right? I mean, that's that guy never gets to uh, grow out of whatever it is that he's in trouble for. Yeah, I just, I just 
I like the explanation. This is also where Harry says, I only fire my weapon to save a life. That's my code. Or a code I live by were his words. So mm-hmm. we get a little more into Harry's code because he specifically says, that's a code I live by. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point because it, it, it does bring up that yeah, that idea of the code um, in, in what Harry's code for Harry is and then what Harry's code for Dexter is. And also just... Um, you know, also being a, like myself, a child of uh, of a, like a stepfather, or in, in Dexter's case, you know, this is a foster father. Um, it, that that like importance of a father figure or a parental figure in general, and and the words that they use, and the things that they say, and how they use them, it's so crucial. So I will give the show uh, much applause for that because it does make it seem like it's it's very intentional and purposeful based on character development, which I really like. Yeah, and it's showing you that, you know, Harry is coming up with the rules for Dexter to keep Dexter safe, but that Harry also has his own sort of ethical code, his ethical um, decision lines of, of why he does what he does. Yeah. And how much of that is Dexter adapting and, and kind of making his own as he takes the code that he says that Harry gave him, how much is he really adapting it to fit his own needs as he goes and progresses? Yeah. Um, so Dexter tracks uh, Barnes, the target, to a wooded area. Uh, they're supposedly going to look for an alligator. Dexter shows up and just kind of scares them off and then nearly steps on an alligator. Um, and then when he gets back to his car, his window's been smashed and his wallet's been stolen. Uh, Dexter later catches up with the the guy and finds out that the guy that he killed uh, had raped him and that he wasn't just a thrill killer or a, a serial killer uh, like Dexter is. So he doesn't meet Dexter's code and Dexter says, if you return my wallet, I I won't follow you. I'll leave you alone. I really didn't believe him. I, I mean, that probably sounds awful to say, but like, I don't know. I mean, Dexter at the beginning of the episode says, uh, and of course, obviously, this is all written by the by the writers. But like, he says that when when he looked at what this the work that this kid had done, it had been purposeful, it had been meaningful. It, you know, it wasn't just random. And then later on, this kid's life, this kid knows his life is, is jeopardized, right, at this point, right? Because, like, this guy's got a syringe, probably got a knife, he's overpowering him, and maybe, and he's a troubled kid, so he might say anything to get out of anything. He's kind of acting tough, right? Like, he says, you're going to rape me like that the other guy, I'll kill you too, you know? And so, I mean, it's like, does he is he saying something just to say it, to get out of it, or, like, to be threatening, because it, maybe it was the actor or whatever. It just didn't seem like he was like he was honest about. It. And then Dexter just believes it, and he's like, "Okay, well, give him my wallet. I'm out of here." Then, uh, yeah, just like that, it's over. Yeah, like show me some. I don't. Maybe it's not, but you know, show me some proof. I guess or like he's like, "Why didn't you say anything in court?" Well, would you? I mean, yeah, right. Like if it's gonna make a difference on whether or not you're gonna be convicted as a murderer, I'd be like, "Yeah, it was self defense. The guy raped me, and I killed him. There you go." And he was getting ready to pull a knife on the other kid in the woods, too, no matter how you slice it. They were having this kind of, pardon the pun, but they were kind of having this face-off. There was no reason for him to go for the knife. Mm-hmm. There's, It just didn't make sense. I agree. I felt the same way. Would Dexter really just be like, oh, well, if you say so, yeah. never mind. Yeah, it felt, like, uh, it felt like something that they're dangling for later, and I don't remember for sure if that kid comes back or not. I don't think he does, but it seems like the sort of thing where 
Dexter would let that guy off and then it would go he would end up killing somebody later and Dexter would feel guilty about it yeah you should have written the show because that's what they should have done brought him back as a big bad well or just have him show up down the line you know in another episode yeah. where he's, right. he's accused of they, they killing somebody um, and I I don't remember uh, if that does happen so I'm not taking credit for it if <laughs> if we do get to a later <laughs> episode and that's that's the idea that it was so but. Yeah, it's, it certainly feels that way, and I and that's what I thought too. And I was like, "Oh, that's fun and creative. Let's bring in characters early on that Dexter forgives or whatever, so that later on he feels guilty about when they really turn out to be the monsters that he's hunting anyway." But yeah, if that's the, that's on them if they don't use that. Um, so then we have Dexter helping plant a lemon tree in Rita's yard. Uh, a bad dude shows up and <laughs> takes Rita's car. Uh, in payment for money that Paul Alter owed her, um, and I can't remember what exactly the what exactly it was supposed to be paying for, but it seemed like a really high price to be paying for whatever it, it was. It was owed him two, like two kilos. Was it two ounces yeah, of cocaine? No, oh, not two kilos. <laughs> two ounces, guys. Two ounces. I don't know. I was going to say enough about cocaine, apparently. I think it was two ounces. Should have been a lot more cocaine, apparently, for a car. Yeah, no, apparently it's like 20 grand an ounce. No. (laughs) Two ounces of cocaine is about what a a reused RAV4 would cost. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I need to brush up on my... Drug, yeah, kilo, uh, kilos, <laughs> kilos is like what Dale say, like twenty, maybe like twenty grand. Like a, an ounce is probably three ish thousand, maybe depending on the where you, how good it is, where you get it from. Not that I know. Do you think? Uh, <laughs> you say you know, we need to talk to if we have questions about our drug dealers and if they're over undercharging us. Do you think Kelly Blue Book breaks it down, like how much a rad forest worth in coke? <laughs> yeah, I feel like that we should. Send an email or something. Well, it depends on how much it was stepped on. I'm talking about the car <laughs> mm-hmm. and and the coke. How much yep. it was stepped on? That's for sure. So yeah, uh, reader tells Dexter not to get involved. She just wants Paul out of her life, so she just gives up on the car basically. And Dexter's stuck giving reader rides to and from work. Um, he also ends up showing up at her house to help with a CPS visit to make sure that she's not abusing the kids and they have places to sleep and all that kind of stuff. There's like a social worker that comes by. Sorry, I just wanted to say real quick that I, I appreciate that they finally let us know what Rita does as a job. We get to see her at the yes. job. At the hotel desk. Of course. Of course that's what she does. Of course. Super sweet. Hospitality. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> yes. Had to be. So yeah, and then um, in, in the end of the episode... Uh, Dexter's narrating over Rita watering the lemon tree. The kids are selling lemonade. Dexter's brought in a impounded car that Rita can use, which looks completely hilarious. It's some kind of convertible. And uh, Dexter's line that closes the episode is, score one for the little wooden boy. It was also a good line when he was uh, planting the tree. They were talking about Rita's green thumb, and she said, I can't help it, I kill things. And he says, that must be awful. That was also a good little... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I think it's interesting that he's like, well, he says, you know, the little wooden boy. Because, um, uh, you know, obviously he's referencing Pinocchio and, and uh, the lack of emotions or the lack of reality that, that 
Pinocchio has. And again, he talks this game of not being able to relate to people or know what he what needs to be happening in the moment with his girlfriend or these other things. But you know, like he does. At least the actor Michael C. Hall does have a, a really interesting way of portraying those emotions on his face uh, in mm-hmm. certain moments, like like that moment where he did. She did say that I kill everything, and he says that you know it must be awful because obviously he wants to just be like, yeah, me too, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it, you know, like it's funny that the way he references himself. Some points I feel like is an interesting choice of writing or a way that he references himself because like he's not that wooden. Like he he's pretty animated for for what he does and how he acts. Or I think what he's getting at there, and you know the the score one part of it in particular is that he doesn't know that bringing her a car is necessarily the right thing to do, and so he's pleasantly surprised when she's happy about it. From his perspective, he doesn't read those social cues well enough, and so she might he might have just as, as easily walked into a situation where she was like, well, why did you do this? I wanted to spend more time with you and us driving to work every day was a great way to spend time together. And he would have been at a loss for how to solve that problem. Mm. Well, a great example of that in the episode is when she's crying in the bathroom after the thug comes and steals the car and, uh, Dexter comes up to the door and asks, do you need toilet paper? Like, he just has no clue how right. to interact or how to comfort her at all. He doesn't know what he's doing. So this, he's just guessing the right thing to do and the right thing to say. Yes. And sometimes he nails it, sometimes he fails. Yeah. Yep. So he's, he scored with the the pimpmobile. I don't know what to call it. It's like the That's probably Corvette. the best way to explain it is a pimpmobile. <laughs> And like oh, those were some sweet red velvet seats, though. Yeah, <laughs> like the shag carpeting on the doors, and yeah, yeah, good stuff. Nice. Was the was the decal of Jesus on the hood? <laughs> if only Jesus is the motor, my man. <laughs> um, there's a scene at Miami Metro where Masuka, Angel, and Dexter are looking at a crime scene photo, and Masuka starts talking up some new office hottie. An angel who, for some reason, is a lot less sensitive than he usually is on the show, calls her a butterface and explains what a butterface is to Dexter. And then Angel starts describing what pulling a Bronco is. And Deb walks up and just by what he's miming says, oh, you're telling him about the Bronco, huh? Yeah, who was Angel in this episode? Who was this guy? (laughs) We never saw him before. We never see him again. It's just like Invasion of the Body Snatcher. Somebody took over because that was not a typical <laughs> characterization of him. Yeah, it's. I, th- I think they just hadn't decided yet that he was going to be a central character on the show or they thought that they would have him change around at some point or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I get the idea of having this sort of... Uh, as the most powerful man in the world would say, locker room talk at a police station among a bunch of guys. Um, but it is weird for Angel to be the one talking like that. It's that That's total Masuka territory. And that's not surprising at all. It, it's funny seeing it because Angel, for lack of better explanation, he, he kind of later becomes a moral center for the show absolutely he's 
he's by far the the character that is most loyal and and has a strict code of how he does things. And that kind of happens by default because he doesn't he's not as temperamental as Deb. Otherwise, Deb would be kind of the conscience of the show um, or the center, the um, sort of emotional center of the show. But you know, we can't trust Laguerta. Um, Masuka's just a perv. Um, so Dexter is clearly a serial killer. Yeah. And Dokes just does whatever the fuck Dokes wants to do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In- including getting himself probably uh, probably in huge trouble with the the mafia. Yeah. Does anything to put on a clown mask to go assault a lieutenant? Draws the line for him. Yeah, he just he just runs down the road, which is one of the funniest <laughs> scenes. Uh, like un- unintentionally, yeah, just right down the middle. Yes. He doesn't even try to go off the side. He doesn't take the sidewalk. He just runs in the most well lit part of the street. He's <laughs> dokes. He doesn't have time for that. <laughs> really glad he's who's out there serving, and protecting. It's really good choices on his part. I'm just expecting all the calls to the police, like. There's a really muscular black man running down the middle of our road. He looks really scared. <laughs> really, really smooth on his part. Yeah. Okay. So um, the last thing we have is the most important, or the the a plot of the episode, which is about the ice truck killer. Um, there's a new body that's left on the hockey rink in one of the gold nets. Dexter's super impressed with it. Uh, the security tape from the period that the killer left the body is missing, so they don't have a visual on what he looked like. And so Dokes and Luerta suspect the hockey rink night watchman. Um, and Deb disagrees, but she gets sent off to, or she goes and talks to the hookers. They give her a lead on what the car looks like, and the hookers point out to Deb that Luerta is her pimp. Which was great. It was like, this is someone that tells you what to do. Yeah, uh-huh. he's your pimp. And he's, he, she's your pimp. Or she take the credit for things that you find out or get. Yeah, yeah. So she's always she's taking something like from pimp. her. Yeah. You know what's funny too is like we're thinking back to the uh, one of the earlier episodes when she's like, Morgan, I didn't recognize you without your clothes off, you know, or clothes on or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's something a, a pimp might say, I think. So, I think yeah. they were... Well, and then, she said in this episode, I hope you brought your tube top. I think she said something like yeah. that. Do you still have episode. your tube top? That's it. Yeah, right. And this is the same woman at the end of last episode said, I'm glad that sexual harassment training worked out for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and so Deb gets in trouble. Oh, yeah, because she goes and talks to Matthew with all the evidence that Angel finds a little bit later in the episode. Um, they find the security tape, and LaGuerta immediately jumps to the fact that it's the Night Watchman. Uh, but then Angel looks at the tape and says that if you, if you look when he's setting up the body in the ice rink, uh, he's looking off towards the camera as if somebody's directing him. And that's what she takes to Matthews instead of going to LaGuerta. Deb's conversation with the with the hookers, there's another great exchange. Um, it happens twice in that in that same scene where 
they're they're surprised that she's she was an undercover cop, and they're they're like you know well, you're still a whore. And Dub's like I'm not a fucking whore. And then one of the other hookers is like, what's wrong with being a whore? That happens twice. <laughs> yeah, Deb's not playing to her audience very well in that one. Yeah, exactly. I don't think Deb ever plays well with her audience. No. LaGuerta says that uh, Jeb Bush himself signed off on this, like, warrant for the uh, Night Watchman. So they go and... Uh, she goes and does a press conference and names the Night Watchman as the killer in the press conference. I I feel like the name dropping of Jeb Bush was wonderful. <laughs> Because, like, she said it like she expected everybody to clap, and I'm just like, please clap. Yeah, of course he's involved. <laughs> she got the governor to sign the warrant for some reason. Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, that's that's it for the Ice Truck Killer this week. And like I said, um, as far as things moving forward in the episode, you know, there's not a whole lot going on there in Ice Truck Killer land. We've just got um, this red herring that the audience pretty much knows is a red herring and everyone else doesn't. Um, and for people listening to the podcast wondering if I've incurred the wrath of God, there is a thunderstorm happening over my house right now. So, <laughs> um, I was hearing something. Yeah. So um, the last thing is uh, my favorite little Easter egg in this episode, which is Evil Denise Crosby. Uh, <laughs> we flash back to Harry in a hospital. Dexter and Deb are there, which it's the real actors, uh, Michael C. Hall and Jennifer Carpenter, both there in silly, silly wigs to make them look younger. And they introduce Harry's nurse, uh, who is systematically poisoning him. And she's played by Denise Crosby, a.k.a. early Star Trek The Next Generation's Lieutenant Yar. And for me, it's the mom from Pet Cemetery. As soon as I see her, yep. that's all I think of. <laughs> My question is... Were they silly wigs or were they wonderful? Yeah, I, I they were awesome. No, I really liked. <laughs> I liked emo Dexter. I think he's probably emo my favorite. Dexter is amazing. One of my favorite Dexters. <laughs> the the Depp one's particularly bad when they like try and make her seventeen years old and they just like put more hair on top of her head. It just doesn't. Work. <laughs> well, there's also that, and they take off the baggy suit she's wearing. So you see that obviously the check from Dexter's first few episodes haven't come through. She still can't afford food. Yeah, she's so skinny. Bless her heart. <laughs> my my favorite and possibly least favorite. I'm on the fence about this line of the episode. Is Evil Denise Crosby going into her uh, apartment? looking for her cat and saying, are you trapped behind the couch again, Mr. Tinker Stinker? <laughs> I don't see what's wrong with that line. It's great. <laughs> it's just hilarious. It's, <laughs> it's a great name for your cat. Denise Crosby in general makes me laugh in this episode. It's what? like, you're not on Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> you're, you're playing bit parts on these little TV shows now. It's so sad. What kills me is, like, as she's saying that, the couch is, like, out in the open. So there's, there's no way the cat is trapped behind it. <laughs> Unless it's, like, a 600-pound cat. I guess. My 600-pound life early episodes. So, yeah, Dexter says that she was his first victim. Um, he does a terrible job of stopping her. She's bigger than he is. She nearly gets away from him, but... He gets her into some kind of a lock and 
knocks her out and puts her on the table. And then he finds a scrapbook in her house with articles about all the people that she's poisoned. Um, she says she helped them. She took her pain, their pain away. And Dexter says, now I'm going to take your pain away and stabs her in the heart. Um, so little Dexter, I, I imagine that I'd have to think Denise Crosby's probably bigger than Michael C. Hall in real life, which is probably why they, they did it like that to make him look, to make him look younger in comparison. Uh, because in that fight, she really looks like she's got the upper hand. Well, at that point, isn't he supposed to be in his late teens? Yeah, yeah, he's young. So. Yeah, I guess I definitely I'm okay with them doing that in terms of like the show not using another actor to be the late teens Dexter. Like as dumb as it looks and as crazy as the wigs are, I kind of appreciate that because then it it does fit the face to the to the devil himself you know like we we finally see like this is the killer deck this is the only dexter we know that kills people is this this face and uh and i yeah like size wise you know she definitely looked like she could take him but um but it was still it was still good that they chose to use michael c hall in that moment to for me well i mean she used all of her training as chief security officer of the enterprise (laughs) Didn't she body check him? To take him down. Yeah. yeah she just, like, she shoulder did, rings she did, yeah. just, It's It's a great scene. And um, do, do you remember how he kills her? Because it, it's very hesitant. Like, he's, he's, he's not he sure if he's going to do it. Yeah, he tightens he, the hood around his face, and then he stabs her. And, and he, he's completely freaked out by the blood spray. He didn't see it coming. I, I loved that scene because I thought it was played so well. And it was really funny, too, because the cat's sitting there watching him purring. And he's hesitating and getting sprayed with blood and seems a little bit like, taken aback by it, which is funny because we know where he ends up. He pulls that hood so it's like it's closed like at his nose, basically, um, which I guess is as far as he could get it. But then, yeah, it does show the blood going everywhere the truth is he learned his lack of emotion from that cat that cat couldn't have given a damn (laughs) the cat did not care the cat loved it the cat was purring the cat was happy like you know this is revenge for that stupid ass name you gave me i was gonna say cats are the uh all the proof you need that the earth isn't flat because if it was a cat would have pushed everything off the side by now (laughs) uh i'll tell my cat that um, yeah. uh, didn't he say that something about he admired or he was admiring her 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 notebook or her collection of like articles because it's the same as him right like it, it kind of in essence he took that idea from her and the way that she yeah. was killing people to help people or whatever I did air quotes there for the listeners uh, to help people and um, and so like that idea then of cataloging your kills she essentially gave him that idea but yeah. Like, yeah, she inspired the slides. Yeah. Which he doesn't take a slide of hers at this point, but I would imagine that that's something that starts somewhere during his his collegiate training or his, you know, his path to becoming a blood spatter analyst that he decides on keeping the the blood slides as his his trophies. Yeah, good on her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. And and Denise Crosby only got one episode out of it. It's 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 heartbreaking. She just can't get a break. 
Another good thing about the evil Denise Crosby scenes <laughs> is we get to see the uh, James Remar like in a fetal position in a hospital bed, shivering. James Remar in his like spooky gray, like wispy beard that he's starting to grow. <laughs> yeah. It's like she's boy, she's giving me too much. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Harry's been smoking ganja and he's paranoid that that's what's happening so <laughs> she's an innocent that Dexter had to die Dexter had to kill I mean <laughs> so yeah um, so that's it for the plot uh, this was the third episode in a row directed by Michael Cuesta um, he's got two more this season coming up and uh, the writer was Daniel Cerrone, who was a writer and story editor on Charmed. Uh, he was the executive producer on the first two seasons of Dexter and wrote six episodes. If you look online, there are some uh, Paley Center uh, videos that they made in New York with some of the cast and the executive producers. Um, Sarah Colton's there, Clyde Phillips, the showrunner's there, and Daniel Cerrone is there. And Daniel Cerrone is comes across as like the most knowledgeable on the panel about all things Dexter. Uh, he they they ask a lot of character questions to the actors and then he usually pipes in and gives a little bit more background on top of that because there's things that they were thinking of in the writing room that didn't necessarily make it into scenes. Um, and now he works on the blacklist. Um, he's a writer and executive producer on there. So, uh, what do we think our best line of the episode is? Are we going for the, are you trapped behind the couch again? Or are we saving that for a worse line? <laughs> I have it written down as worst at the moment, but I'd be happy to put the title of the episode in for the worst line of the episode. While that's a terrible line, it's it, it serves a double purpose for this episode. Yeah, it does. Because it's Dexter's first kill. give it. It's Dexter's first kill. It makes sense. Yeah, I think uh, um, the uh, best line, and I, th- I could go either way too, but it's almost like um, when uh, Deb's talking to her hooker friends, uh, and she's like, I'm not a fucking whore. And the, but it's me like, what's wrong with being what's a whore? What's wrong with being a whore? <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, like, that's pretty funny too. See, I was, yeah. I was also going to nominate one of the hooker lines of uh, She's Your Pimp. <laughs> Just. Like it's it's so concise, but it's so true. Yeah, I went with an exchange between Dex and Deb when uh, they discovered that the victim was Cherry, not Sherry, Cherry, uh, and that Deb knew her. And it's just a little exchange, but you know, Dexter's all uncomfortable and doesn't know what to say to Deb because she said they were friends, and he says, "You want a hug?" and she just says, "Fuck off." You know, <laughs> it's such a small exchange, but it just so encapsulates that relationship where he's like, I don't know what to do. Want a hug? And she's, fuck yeah, off. Yeah, and yeah, it's, just, it's another, like, he's watching her go through something that he has no understanding of, and he's just like, what do other people do in this situation? Um, and I just love those scenes. Yeah. Well, because she hears it as sarcasm. Right, because that's how it comes across, because he doesn't know what the hell he's saying or how to say it. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. do you want a hug? <laughs> and my worst line was the butterface sequence. That was my worst, just because. Not the Bronco, just the butterface. <laughs> the Bronco, I'm great with. That's great. That's, yeah. 
But the Butterface just just probably would have been okay with me if it would come from Masuka, but the fact that Angel said it just hurt my feelings. Yeah. I can see that. <laughs> Worst line. Uh, what about performance of the episode? Oh, easily Denise Crosby. <laughs> evil Denise Crosby. Yeah, evil Denise Crosby is, is was awesome. She did it. Her one shot. Her Dexter's, one shot on the show. Dexter's wig. That was by far the performance of the episode. Young Dexter's wig. <laughs> I, I second. I second that too. Yeah. That wig was working hard. That like dead marsupial that they put on his head. Emo Dexter. <laughs> Especially when he says, "I can't, I can't do it without you," or whatever he says. It's such an emo line. It was really yeah. great. Like the acting quality went along with the quality of the wigs in that scene. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's so many great performances in this. There's Deb talking to the hookers, which is always great. Uh, <clears throat> Dokes running down the street. <laughs> Mr. Tinker Stinkers Mr. or whatever Tinker it is, sitting in the chair purring. Yeah, maybe he takes the cake. I think it's Nick Tinker Stinker. He's a performance. Yeah. James Remore <laughs> shivering. The what what cracks me up like in retrospect about the whole James Remore, like the whole uh, Harry and Dexter having that like coded message in front of Deb, where she's just like, "What? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. What? It, it's so dad coded. What? <laughs> He's like." <laughs> You're a killer. You're gonna go kill this person. I'm, I'm gonna need you what? to be better about killing when I'm gone. We don't talk about that. <laughs> they 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 do all of that, and then the revelation is that after he kills her, Harry lives another year. Like they show him being discharged from the hospital. So it's like you gotta wonder if they like get home and she's like, "Hey, Dad, you remember that conversation that you and Dexter were having? <laughs> what the hell are you talking about?" And she went on to be a great detective. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> Did she get a lot of schooling for that? Well, no. every <laughs> single episode she's like, Hey Dex, what uh what are you feeling here? Yeah. And what, and that's it for the first scene. What's your serial killer hunch? Yeah. Well, as the tornado warning sirens go off here in Lenexa, um, I just heard that. I was like, Oh, you guys oh. need to seek shelter. <laughs> We're gonna. This is probably not your gonna, life is more important. Oh, it's, it's fine. It, this it's recording fine. is not going to be very good with uh, with the wailing going on like that. But uh, um, we have pretty much reached the end. Is there anything else you guys wanted to talk about? Just those clown masks. Uh, those were really really smart ideas. The clown mask is always a good way to uh, to, to jump people. So <laughs> good stuff. Mix those with the Dexter emo wig, and you're set to go. Absolutely. That's some nightmare fuel right there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that'll do it for us for season one, episode three, Pop and Cherry. We'll see you next time on Deeply Discussing Dexter. Thanks. 